Hey, it's Nathan, and this is day 49 of the Bible in 90 Days. We're in Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Ecclesiastes is a fascinating book recording the preacher or teacher's pursuit of wisdom. The preacher or teacher, by the way, is almost certainly a reference to Solomon. The book wrestles with the meaning and purpose of life. Though often melancholy, the book is an urgent invitation to live today well and focus one's energy on what's meaningful rather than what's fleeting, wealth, fame, etc. Perhaps, in spite of modern civilization's great advances, the ancient words in Ecclesiastes are more significant than ever. If you can spare the time, this book is a must-read. Ecclesiastes 1 begins starkly, Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. This introductory declaration is followed by the observation of life's cyclical nature. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. To this is added, no one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. The final verses of this chapter give greater insight to the book's purpose. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow, the more knowledge, the more grief. Ecclesiastes 2 records the teacher trying to discover what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. His pursuits included the undertaking of great projects, irrigation, vineyards, buildings, the purchasing of slaves, acquiring livestock, amassing financial wealth, surrounding himself with entertainment, and more, pursuing pleasure and satisfaction by every imaginable means. Yet, upon reflection, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Then the teacher turns to philosophy, and even that disappointed him because... The same fate overtakes them both, that is, the wise and the foolish. What then do I gain by being wise? The author asks. His pursuit of meaning proved empty no matter where he turned. So I hated life, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. He concluded for the moment, at least in part, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This, too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Ecclesiastes 3, by the way, a chapter you should read, opens with the well-known lines, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. After his reflection on a time for everything, the author wrestles with the finitude of human beings and then notes that the best way to live is that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God.
The chapter finishes with two major themes. First, that human beings will be held accountable for their actions. God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked. Second, he notes that the fate of humans is like that of animals. All die a common death. So he concludes, living fully in the present is best. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Ecclesiastes 4 finds the teacher making four observations. First, that power seems to be on the side of the oppressor. Therefore, it was better to be dead than alive. Better yet, to never have been born. Second, he observed that all toil and all achievements spring from one's envy of another. Thus, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil. Third, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Fourth, it was better to be a poor yet wise youth than an old foolish king. Ecclesiastes 5 notes first that one ought to guard your steps when you go to the house of God. The teacher, a few lines later, urges a person to follow through with vows made to God. The second major focus of the chapter is a reflection on the meaninglessness of riches. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. The teacher observes as well that, as everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? Finally, the author concludes, as he has previously, that it's appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Those given the privileges of wealth and possessions should accept their lot and be happy in their toil. Ecclesiastes 6, however, argues that if one is prosperous but cannot enjoy it, being a stillborn child is better, having more rest than does that man, even if he lives a thousand years twice over but fails to enjoy his prosperity. Do not all go to the same place? The teacher observes that toil to satisfy one's appetite is also meaningless because appetite is never satisfied. Later, the teacher asks this haunting question. Who knows what is good for a person in life? During the few and meaningless days they pass through like a shadow? Ecclesiastes 7 includes quite a few lines reminiscent of the book of Proverbs, yet uniquely born out of the reflections of the teacher, the writer of Ecclesiastes. One good example, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. The author also ponders the sovereignty of God. When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. After noting that the righteous die doing good while the wicked live long in spite of their wickedness, the author instructs, do not be over-righteous, neither be 
overwise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be overwicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. After commenting on his search for wisdom and the difficulty in finding wise persons, the author notes his singular finding. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. Ecclesiastes 8 includes counsel to obey the king and thus avoid coming to harm. The teacher went on to make several observations among them. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before him. He also observed this. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. The author further observes, No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Ecclesiastes 9 is a reflection on the common destiny of both the righteous and the wicked, death. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. However, anyone who is among the living has hope because they know that they will die. He then instructs the reader to enjoy life as it comes, taking good care of oneself and enjoying one's wife all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. A life that includes giving your best while you live before death takes away the privileges of living. Following this, the author observes that time and chance happen to them all, and yet the quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Ecclesiastes 10 is a collection of proverbs. Here are a few samples. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Do not revile the king even in your thoughts or curse the rich in your bedroom, because a bird in the sky may carry your words, and a bird on the wing may report what you say. Ecclesiastes 11, a chapter, by the way, you should read, begins with wise counsel on investing. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. The final words of the chapter are to the young. Be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth, and banish anxiety from your heart. Ecclesiastes 12, a chapter you should also read, the final one of this short book, begins with these notable lines. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. After reinforcing this point over and over again, a few lines report the teacher's great search for wisdom. Then the book concludes. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. 
for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. The next book, Song of Solomon. It's a beautiful love story, and you should read the whole thing when you get the chance. Song of Solomon chapter 1 begins with the woman speaking. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. The first chapter goes back and forth between the woman, her friends, and her lover. Here are words spoken by her lover. I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. Song of Solomon 2 continues this romance. Here are the final lines, first the man speaking. My dove in the clefts of the rock and the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. And then the woman speaks. My beloved is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the rugged hills. Song of Solomon 3 begins with the woman lying awake all night, longing for her lover, and then getting up and searching for him until he's found, and when he's found, she refuses to let him go. The chapter then describes Solomon coming up from the wilderness in a magnificent chariot escorted by warriors. Song of Solomon 4 begins with Solomon expressing his delight in his lover's beauty. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. After reveling in her beauty, he invites, Come with me from Lebanon, my bride, come with me from Lebanon. And then, You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. The chapter ends with a seductive invitation from the woman to her lover. Song of Solomon 5 is devoted almost exclusively to words spoken by the woman who heard her lover's knock, but when she opened, her beloved had left. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my cloak, those watchmen of the walls. Most of the rest of the chapter is the woman's romantic description of her lover. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among ten thousand. His head is purest gold, his hair is wavy and black as a raven. Song of Solomon 6 begins with friends asking, Where has your beloved gone, most beautiful of women? Which way did your beloved turn, that we may look for him with you? 
The woman responds that her lover has gone to his garden to gather flowers. And then we hear from the man, overwhelmed by his lover's beauty. You are as beautiful as Terza, my darling, as lovely as Jerusalem, as majestic as troops with banners. The chapter continues with interaction between the friends and the man. And then we find ourselves in Song of Solomon 7. And these words, how beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. The following verses continue this intimate description of the woman's beauty. How beautiful you are and how pleasing, my love, with your delights. This is followed by the woman's invitation to her lover. I belong to my beloved, and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Song of Solomon 8 continues the romance with the middle lines being these. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. The book ends quite simply, beginning with the man calling to his lover. You who dwell in the gardens with friends in attendance, let me hear your voice. And then her response, Come away, my beloved. And be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the spice-laden mountains. And that's all for today.